though in few words, Jem promised that if aught earthly could keep her from falling, he would do it. Then she blessed him, and bade him good-night. "'Stay a minute,' said he, as she was on the point of departure. "'I may want to speak to you again. I must know where to find you. Where do you live?' She laughed strangely. "'And do you think one sunk so low as I am has a home? Decent good people have homes. We have none. No. If you want me, come at night and look at the corners of the streets about here. The colder, the bleaker, the more stormy the night, the more certain you will be to find me. For then,' she added, with a plaintive fall in her voice, "'it's so cold sleeping in entries and on doorsteps, and I want a dram more than ever.' Again she rapidly turned off, and Jem also went on his way. But before he reached the end of the street, even in the midst of the jealous anguish that filled his heart, his conscience smote him. He had not done enough to save her. One more effort, and she might have come. Nay, twenty efforts would have been well rewarded by her yielding. He turned back, but she was gone. And the tumult of his other feelings, his self-reproach was deadened for the time. But many and many a day afterwards he bitterly regretted his omission of duty, his weariness of well-doing. Now the great thing was to reach home and solitude. Mary loved another. Oh, how should he bear it? He had thought her rejection of him a hard trial, but that was nothing now. He only remembered it to be thankful that he had not yielded to the temptation of trying his fate again not in actual words, but in a meeting where her manner should tell far more than words, that her sweet smiles, her dainty movements, her pretty household ways were all to be reserved to gladden another's eyes and heart, and he must live on. That seemed the strangest, that a long life, and he knew men did live long, even with deep biting sorrow corroding at their hearts, must be spent without Mary. Nay, with the consciousness she was another's. That hell of thought he would reserve for the quiet of his own room, the dead stillness of night. He was on the threshold of home now. He entered. They were the usual faces, the usual sights. He loathed them, and then he cursed himself because he loathed them. His mother's love had taken a cross turn because he had kept the tempting supper she had prepared for him waiting until it was nearly spoilt. Alice, her dulled senses deadening day by day, sat mutely near the fire, her happiness bounded by the consciousness of the presence of her foster-child, knowing that his voice repeated what was passing to her deafened ear, that his arm removed each little obstacle to her tottering step. And Will, out of the very kindness of his heart, talked more and more merrily than ever. He saw Jem was downcast, and fancied his rattling might cheer him. At any rate, it drowned his aunt's muttered grumblings, and in some measure concealed the blank of the evening. At last bedtime came, and Will withdrew to his neighbouring lodging, and Jane and Alice Wilson had raked the fire, and fastened doors and shutters, and pattered upstairs with their tottering footsteps and shrill voices. Jem, too, went to the closet termed his bedroom. There was no bolt to the door, but by one strong effort of his right arm, a heavy chest was moved against it, and he could sit down on the side of his bed and think. Mary loved another. 
that idea would rise uppermost in his mind and had to be combated in all its forms of pain it was perhaps no great wonder that she should prefer one so much above jem in the external things of life but the gentleman why did he with his range of choice among the ladies of the land why did he stoop down to carry off the poor man's darling with all the glories of the garden at his hand why did he prefer to cull the wild rose jem's own fragrant wild rose his own oh never now his own gone for evermore then uprose the guilty longing for blood the frenzy of jealousy some one should die who'd rather mary were dead cold in her grave than that she were another's a vision of her pale sweet face with her bright hair all bedabbled with gore seemed to float constantly before his aching eyes but hers were ever open and contained in their soft deathly look such mute reproach what had she done to deserve such cruel treatment from him she had been wooed by one who jem knew to be handsome gay and bright and she had given him her love that was all it was the wooer who should die yes die knowing the cause of his death jem pictured him and gloated on the picture lying smitten yet conscious and listening to the upbraiding accusation of his murderer how he had left his own rank and dared to love a maiden of low degree and oh stinging agony of all how she in return had loved him then the other nature spoke up and bade him remember the anguish he should so prepare for mary at first he refused to listen to that better voice or listened only to pervert he would glory in her wailing grief he would take pleasure in her desolation of heart no he could not said the still small voice it would be worse far worse to have caused such woe than it was now to bear his present heavy burden but it was too heavy too grievous to be born and live he would slay himself and the lovers should love on and the sun shine bright and he with his burning woeful heart would be at rest rest that is reserved for the people of god had he not promised with such earnest purpose of soul as makes words more solemn than oaths to save mary from becoming such as esther should he shrink from the duties of life into the cowardliness of death who would then guard mary with her love and her innocence would it not be a goodly thing to serve her although she loved him not to be her preserving angel through the perils of life and she unconscious all the while he braced up his soul and said to himself that with god's help he would be that earthly keeper and now the mists and the storms seemed clearing away from his path though it still was full of stinging thorns having done the duty nearest to him of reducing the tumult of his own heart to something like order the second became more plain before him poor esther's experience had led her perhaps too hastily to the conclusion that mr carson's intentions were evil towards mary at least she had given no just ground for the fears she entertained that such was the case it was possible nay to jem's heart very probable that he might only be too happy to marry her she was a lady by right of nature jem thought in movement grace and spirit what was birth to a manchester manufacturer many of whom glory and justly too 
in being the architects of their own fortunes. And as far as wealth was concerned, judging another by himself, Jem could only imagine it a great privilege to lay it at the feet of the loved one. Harry Carson's mother had been a factory girl, so, after all, what was the great reason for doubting his intentions towards Mary? There might probably be some little awkwardness about the affair at first, Mary's father having such strong prejudices on the one hand, and something of the same kind being likely to exist on the part of Mr. Carson's family. But Jem knew he had power over John Barton's mind, and it would be something to exert that power in promoting Mary's happiness, and to relinquish all thought of self in so doing. Oh, why had Esther chosen him for this office? It was beyond his strength to act rightly. Why had she singled him out? The answer came when he was calm enough to listen for it, because Mary had no other friend capable of the duty required of him, the duty of a brother, as Esther imagined him to be in feeling, from his long friendship. He would be unto her as a brother. As such, he ought to ascertain Harry Carson's intentions towards her in winning her affections. He would ask him straightforwardly, as became man speaking to man, not concealing, if need were, the interest he felt in Mary. Then, with the resolve to do his duty to the best of his power, peace came into his soul. He had left the windy storm and tempest behind. Two hours before day-dawn he fell asleep. End of chapter 14 of Mary Barton by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell